This episode of Real Estate Real World is brought to you by Lion Desk CRM. Discover why so many people have already made the brilliant decision to switch to Lion Desk. With over 100 integrations and video, email, and texting, Lion Desk isn't just a CRM. It's everything you'll ever need in a great follow-up system. Learn why thousands of real estate professionals have already made the switch by visiting them today at liondesk.com. Use the code REALWORLD and get 50% off your first two months. No credit card is even needed to get started today. Welcome to Real Estate Real World where we talk to the movers, shakers, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. Your host is Marguerite Crispillo, and she started this podcast simply to talk to cool people about what's really happening in this crazy roller coaster ride of real estate. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and stay up to date on the newest stuff by adding yourself to the list at www.realestaterealworld.com. Now your host... Marguerite Crispillo. Welcome, everybody. It's Marguerite Crispillo, and I'm thrilled to be here today to talk with another fabulous guest on Real Estate Real World. I will tell you that we are trying the new technology today called Zoom, which is fantastic, by the way. But you will notice that my picture has someone else's name, which is Chris Backwell, my marketing director and my editor. So we could not figure out how to change that today. But it's all good. Uh, you all know that it's me. You'll hear my voice on audio. And I want to dive right into my guest because I'm super excited to get to talk to him today. So my guest today is John David Mann. Author John David Mann is best known for his award-winning business parable, The Go-Giver. Fantastic book, I just have to say. One of my all-time favorite books on my bookshelf. And I did a podcast a couple years ago with Bob Berg, who's an extraordinary man as well. And I got to connect with you, John, at that time. So I'm thrilled to have you here. In his New York Times bestselling military memoir, The Red Circle, with former Navy SEAL sniper Brandon Webb, John doesn't publish books, he writes them. Someone else publishes and markets them. But when more than 40 publishers passed on his last manuscript, he was faced with two choices, shelve it or take it on himself. We are forever grateful that you took it on. The recipe is a tale of heartbreak and redemption, a meditation on great food, which we all love, and secrets of the kitchen, and a life manual all wrapped together into a story that is being called an instant classic, for sure, by former world heavyweight champion George Foreman. A timeless fable with guidelines for living that will last a lifetime by best-selling author Daniel P. Pink, and the feel-good book of the year, screenwriter James Justice. John, welcome to the show. It is great to be here. Thank you, Marguerite. You know, it's so funny. I mentioned this a little bit. I did a podcast last week with uh, Chef Carol, and that's going to be airing here shortly as well. And when I spoke to him, I told him that when I did the podcast with uh, Bob Berg, uh, how that came about was I had gotten one of his marketing emails, you know, about the book because I was on his list. And I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to email him and see if he's interested in being a guest, thinking I would never get a response and or <laughs> it would go into somebody's, you know, junk folder or something like that. 
And I was so shocked when a few minutes later, I got a quick response from him. Right. And I was like blown away. I was so excited. And the same thing happened with you. I know that uh, I had emailed you and just said how much I loved the book. And I, I posted you on, posted on Facebook. And you had responded. And I was so excited when you responded. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. That's great. I was. And then when I got, uh, when you sent me the invitation to participate in this book launch, I was so honored and, and wow. flattered. Um, to be able to participate in this because I know that anything you touch is gold for sure. Uh, oh, you are so sweet. I appreciate <laughs> this. And I, I, am, I am not a guy, who, unlike Bob, who is incredible in social media and so devoted and so dedicated, I'm, I spend all my time writing and I'm really, I, I'm not much of a social media guy. So uh, knowing that I responded to you like that is nice to hear. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Good for me. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Uh, well, I have to tell you, I, I started reading this book and, and the first time I made it about halfway through the book and couldn't put it down. And then last night I was trying to finish it for our show today. And finally about 1am I was bleary eyed. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to have to get some sleep. So I'm going to apologize. I've not finished the book, but oh, that's I can tell good. You, as far that's as good. I've gone, it has been extraordinary. So oh, this is good. I will not spoil the ending because I don't oh, want to do that. But oh, I, have, I just want to tell you, you have some, you have some, some good stuff ahead of you. That's good <laughs> So uh, let's get right to the hard questions, right? Like why did so many people turn this down, especially with your track record? Like you have such a great track record. You know, I, I think that I had spinach in my teeth that day. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. <laughs> I, it has to be what it was. No, it's funny. It was, it was, it's, it's not funny. It, it is funny now. It wasn't then. It was a weird situation, Marguerite, because, you know, yeah. for me, it's, it's just like further evidence of, all the old things you've heard forever, like you can't rest on your laurels. You can't get too satisfied. You can't get yeah. too comfortable. Uh, here I was. I figured New York Times bestselling author. I've got millions of copies in print. I've published two dozen books, you know, with basically all the, the major publishers in New York. So my agent read the manuscript. So I, I thought it would be no problem, right? Right. My, my, it took Charles and I eight years to get to the point where we actually got the book written. And we weren't writing for eight years. I mean, it took us that long to just carve out time in both our schedules so we could just do it. We finally did, um, and, and we had got the book done. I had a manuscript. I sent it to my agent, and this is the agent that, that, uh, that we connected with over the Go-Giver a decade ago, and she's been with me ever since. She's wonderful, Margaret McBride. So Margaret got the manuscript. She read it. She, she emailed me back screaming. She said, this is the best writing you've ever done. This is going to be – so we're going to take this to New York. There's going to be an auction which means that a whole different bunch of publishers all compete for it and they all raise the price and so forth. It's going to go to auction. It's going to be a seven figure advance. This is going to be the biggest thing you've ever done. None of that happened. <laughs> so she sent it out to publisher after publisher after publisher. And the responses that we got were really interesting. Um, I mean, there are a few that just don't read parables and they consider this a parable. And so forget about it. But by and large, all the rest of them, they, they liked it. Many of them loved it. Some of them raved about it. Some of them sent back emails that I would be proud to put on the back cover of the book as endorsements. I mean, they were saying, you know, the story is so moving. The young character, the boy Owen is so convincing. The life lessons are so powerful. The descriptions of food are so vivid and mouthwatering. And this just this is such a great, this is going to be a huge success. Yeah, it doesn't really fit our catalog. <laughs> and one after the other, it's like, it doesn't fit our category. Like, 
the Go-Giver publisher, Portfolio. We love Portfolio, who publishes all the Go-Giver right. books. And I'm now publishing some books with them, with Brendan Webb, my Navy SEAL friend. Uh, not military, but going into the business sphere with them. They are wonderful business partners. A publisher is a business partner, and they've been fantastic. But they're business publishers. They said, right. uh, you know, we're in the business niche. That's like what we do. This isn't really a business book, so as much as we love it, it's just like, it's, it's not for us. We can't wow. do it. Um, you know, it'd be like an adult publisher publishing a children's book. It just doesn't fit. Right. So a lot of them said it doesn't fit us. And what a lot of them said is we can't figure out where it fits. We don't know like what shelf it sits on at Barnes and Noble. I mean, is it about cooking? Is it about personal development? And we were like, yeah, <laughs> it is. Do you think it's it was because of the title? Things. Was that the concern? No. Was maybe the title? No, it's not the title. It's, it's, it's that they couldn't, because it didn't have that title at first. It had various titles. It was that they couldn't figure out what category to slot it into. Hmm. Publishers are a risk-averse field. It's just like movie producers. You take the movie to Hollywood, 99 times out of 100, the producer wants to know that another movie just like this has been produced and been successful. Um, publishers are like that. Right. They want to know, what is this? Is it a political memoir? Is it a feel-good book? Is it a, is it a, you know, a beach read? Is it a, is it a fantasy event? What is it? because they want to know that they're publishing on a proven track with a given marketplace. So this is a challenge. And, and you know, everyone listening to this has heard all the stories about rejection. Right? Right. Colonel Sanders got turned down with his recipe for fried chicken yeah. a billion times. Uh, chicken soup for the soul, you know, uh, uh, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen got turned down by publisher after publisher. Blah, 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 blah. We all heard these stories. And right. they're true. It happened yeah. to us with the Go-Giver. Go-Giver was turned down 21 times. And on really? the 22nd time, Adrian Zakheim at Portfolio said, I want this book. And the rest is, is history, right? Here we are, wow. almost a million copies later. The same thing happened here, but without the, the brass ring at the end of the merry-go-round. There was nobody who, who said yes. And... You know, the moral that we use, when we hear these, these legends of rejection and famous Hollywood actors have their stories of rejection, you know, I get turned down for role after role after role after role because everyone said, like, you can't, you'll never act, you're ugly, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too thin, and then they became like Julia Roberts or whatever. Right. You know? We've all heard these stories. The moral that we usually take from the story is no matter how much rejection you get, don't listen, persevere, believe in yourself, and you'll triumph. That's a good moral, but it's not the whole story. Tough in practicality, right? Well, yeah. the, the thing is that sometimes when, they, when they're rejecting you, they have a reason, and they're not necessarily wrong. When the go-giver was rejected the first dozen or 15 times, it, they were right to reject it. The manuscript wasn't ready. The book, if we'd published the book the way it was, it wouldn't, you probably never would have read it. It probably would have never reached you. It wouldn't have had that kind of audience. Because the book wasn't ready. It wasn't, hmm. it wasn't good yet. It, was, it had promise. We took it back and we, we revised it like crazy. If I could show you that manuscript, and I've, I've showed a little bit of this in my blog post, page after page was covered with red ink. I mean, we, we did much more deletion than we did addition. We took out a lot. We, we trimmed it down. We made it leaner. We made it simpler. We made it clearer. We threw out the last chapter and wrote a whole new last chapter. The chapter in The Go-Giver that you read is not the original last chapter. Oh my we took a character whose name was Raphael mm -hmm. and turned him into Rachel. 
Oh. We gave we gave we gave Rachel a gender reassignment operation, <laughs> and we're Before really glad that, that we was did. The thing, huh? <laughs> and, we, and we're really glad that we did all the things that we did, and there were a lot of them. Made it a better book, and eventually it was ready. So Charles and I really had to sit back and think. No, what? Maybe they're right. Um, and we did a lot of revision to the book, but we got to a point where we said, you know what? In this case, we understand what they're saying, but we think we're right. We here's what we think. We think that there is a group out there of people who love food and love personal growth, that, that those two interests overlap, and that that overlapping is a huge readership waiting for a book like this, just waiting for this. That's what we believe, and so we're rolling the dice, and we decided to publish it ourselves, and so that's what we're doing. And self-publishing is a scary thing for me as a, as a you know, two dozen published author. So. We're doing you know, it, folks. There's so much, uh, so much in what you just said. Uh, uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, it doesn't make me feel so bad that it took you eight years to get it <laughs> done. I've been working on my book uh, for a couple of years now, and yeah. I, I just I've never written a book, so I'm completely I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. I just started writing my story, and I don't know where it's going to go from there. Mm -hmm. um, but interestingly enough, when you talked about making it better, is it? I was in a, I've done a lot of speaking, public speaking and stuff in my career. And, you know, you think you're okay. You think you're not yes. so bad. And then I went to this workshop, a class with uh, some people on speaking. And you write out your whole thing and they're like, and I had an hour long talk. They're like, okay, now consolidate it to 30 minutes. Yes. It's like, okay. So you start kind of trying to cut stuff out and figuring out what's most important. And then they come back and they say, all right, now make it 15 minutes. Yes. You're like, oh, what? And then you're it. like reading through it again and you're seeing, you're realizing how much fluff and how much, you know, yes. extra stuff you put in it. And yes. then they come back and they say, okay, five minutes. <laughs> and at the end, you had it down to three minutes. Yeah. And what that helped us do is how probably the same thing you did. You have to keep making it better you got yes not that it needs to be three pages but you keep improving it improving it yeah. improving it right yeah you really cool. do you really do it's like it's like taking a room in your house and it's full of full of stuff and saying what can i get rid of and the more you get rid of the nicer the room looks exactly and, and that that to me is one of the secrets of of the writer's trade you know yeah. one of the things that distinguishes me from a lot of people who would like to write but never really did it much because people are always asking me how do you really do this you know what yeah. did you, how did you learn to do what you do you know, a ton of it is taking something that I've done that I think is good and doing exactly what you just said making it shorter making it better cutting stuff out rephrasing it taking this little description that I thought was just beautiful and realizing that it's really just Blah blah blah. It's un <laughs> unnecessary words. It just—it's needless words. Needless words. So yeah, I mean, it, it, um, and that's true of public speaking. That's true of—I think it's true of just about any any professional sphere. Um, you know, you think you're good, you can get so much better, and it's worth it. It's really worth it to put the work in. Well, you know, when I talked to Chef Carroll, he uh, hmm. said, "Improve everything you touch." Yeah. And it's also addressed in the book. It also comes yes. up in the book. And there was, I can't even tell you how, when I'm reading through that book, of how important the little things are, the details, right? 
and people say it in a lot of different ways. Love is in the details. You know, God is in the details. And I think that many times we just get so caught up in so many things that we forget those little teeny tiny things that make a huge difference. Yeah. And food is a great place to make that analogy because we've all been to the places where they throw a bunch of slop on your plate, right? And you're just shoveling in the food as fast as you can eat it. And then you've been to places where the food is extraordinary and you can't stop talking about it. Like I can't, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I can go have Chef Carol cook me a meal. <laughs> and, <laughs> he said, yeah. if I get to Houston, he'll make me a meal. Like, all right, it's on my bucket list. I've gone to Houston a couple of times and, and yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> but here's the beautiful thing about that too. The thing you said about how you've been to places where it's, you know, just it's mess on the plate and places where everything is just gorgeous. And it's not about price. No. It's not about price because, and this is something we, you know, we said in the Go-Giver, that it's not about price, it's about value. You can go to a, to a, to a lunch counter that where there's love in their hearts and, and, and it comes down usually from management. Usually the person who's managing the places is, is that's where it filters through the employees and through, through the, the service. But you can go, I've been to plenty of places that were, you know, that cost a lot yeah. where I was just not happy because yeah. the people who were serving me weren't happy because in fact, there's a restaurant I could name right now or I've gone recently. <laughs> yeah. you, used to be managed by somebody that everybody hated and, and it, it showed. And yeah. finally that manager left and they got a new manager who's just lovely and it's like a different place. It's the same food, yeah. but it's completely different. There's, I think there's two messages in this book. I mean, there's like a dozen messages in the book. There's a hundred. Yeah. But I think the two main messages that we wanted to get across is one of them is about that, the, the power of details, the importance of little things. It says at one point, the, the chef who was really the mentor to, to the boy in the story says, you know, when you pay attention to the little things, the big things tend to take care of themselves. My example of that is you can't sit down and write a masterpiece. You can't do it. You can't sit, I can't sit down on my desk and say, okay, I'm going to write a great book today. What I can do is I can sit down and say, today I want to make this sentence better. The man walked into the room. Well, did he walk into the room or did he the man slunk into the room? Did he sl slither into the room? Or did he stride into the room? Did the man Big march difference. into the room? What did he do? What's going on? I can change the verb. I can change up that verb for half an hour and I got different sentences. I can say, I'm going to make a great sentence. I can do that. I can't say I'm going to make a great book. Nobody can do that. Hemingway couldn't do that. All you can do is the detail that's in front of you. And then you have to just trust that if the motive is pure and you pay attention to the details, the big things will sort themselves out. They'll take care of themselves. Every time, Marguerite, every time I sit down to write a book, I'm doing it right now. I'm doing a brand new book. And I, every time I do that, I sit down and I have the same feeling, which is, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know. Where is this oh, book going? Oh, so it's not just me. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just everyone, except for people. The only people who don't think that are the people who should. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. That's so true. And I, I, I have the, I wouldn't say it's an attack of fear, but I have the genuine kind of like a panicky feeling of like, oh, I, I just don't even know where to start with this book. I don't know how to grab it out of the ether and get it. On the and I have to do the same thing every time, not just at the beginning of a book. I have to do it multiple times during a book. I have to sit myself down and say, John, or Johnny, if I'm being parental, say, Johnny, <laughs> you know, 
you've done this before and it's worked out. Um, you know, you actually know how to do this. This works. This is going to happen. And I also tell myself that the, the book that I want to write exists on some plane already. This is a belief that I have. This is not really a belief. It's more like an attitude. Right. It's not a woo-woo belief. It's just an attitude that works. I come into it saying, this book already exists. In its ideal form, all I have to do is kind of find it. I don't have to be responsible for creating. I just have to figure it out. I just have to follow the clues and find it. Stephen King says for him, a book is like an artifact that you have to dig up. And your, and your job as a writer is to use the right tool so that you don't break it. You little Wasn't whisk, it, uh, little whisk broom and was it Michelangelo? Who was it that said uh, the, the angel is he's already there. He's already inside to, the marble. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The statue is the, the David is the, the statue is already inside the marble. I love that. And for me, that really works. Um, and, and that could be true for an entrepreneur. You know, this business that I'm dreaming of is already a successful business. I just have to find it. And it may not be the way I picture it at first. Books often don't turn out exactly the way I, I, I think they're going to turn out. Um, but, but my point is that you can't do anything but the thing that's on your plate. You know, this slice, this cut, this plate, this vegetable, this sentence, this customer, you know, the thing that's on there today. You have to live in the now because there is no tomorrow. You know, it's so funny that that you that you talk about this. You know, we we always through life we end up getting messages from a when when we're supposed to get the message, we get it from a bunch of different directions, right? Yes, yes. And my my good friend uh, Jim Fortin was having a conversation with me one day because I was struggling with a lot of the stuff that you're talking about too, and he said, "Marguerite, there's this great uh, building called the Park in New York or Park something. I don't I don't yeah. know what it's called." And he said, imagine if you have a penthouse in this building, what is the view? Well, the view's got to be extraordinary, right? Like you're seeing 50 mile views and oh, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And he said, well, then imagine what the bottom apartment is. It's the street view where you're kind of caught up in all of the stuff going on in the street. Yeah. And he said, you need to spend more time looking from the penthouse view than the street view, which ties into exactly what you just said, is that you know, you can see the book, you can see the view, you can and see by, that it's there. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. And by the way, that, that for me is, that for me is the number one skill set and challenge in writing. And I, I think it applies to things beyond writing as well. Um, you know, it goes back, you know, The Go-Giver Leader. So yes. for your listeners, there's you know, another book in the series, The Go-Giver Leader. By the way, we have another Go-Giver book coming out next year. Oh, I'll have uh, to interview y'all again. In April, yeah, the awesome. Go-Giver go Influencer, it's coming. But in the Go-Giver Leader, um, the guy, Ben, goes around to talk to a couple of leaders of this company, and the first two he talks to are brothers, and, and one, the first works on the first floor of this building, and this, the other, that's uh, Augustine, and the other brother, Alan, works on the top floor. Mm -hmm. And that chapter is all about vision. And the guy who works on the ground floor, it's all about the practical details. And that for me is the challenge in writing, is going back and forth from the top floor to the bottom floor in your analogy, which I love. Because um, you have to, to go back to the big picture. Why am I doing this? How do, what's the whole message? What's the big picture? But when you do that, you, you lose control of the details. So you have to go back to the details. And when you go to the details, you can't see the big picture. And it's, 
and it, you feel like you're losing control and you have to just say, okay, that's okay. I just trust that it's okay. I trust that the big picture is there and, and be able to go fluidly back and forth. This is a rather esoteric conversation we're having, isn't it? <laughs> I know we're a little <laughs> off track, but it all means something because it all ties in. Yeah, well, it's like that too. I mean, so to me, every business is two things. It is a book, by which I mean it is a, a window through which you know you hope to pour ideas and, and touch people's hearts, touch people's lives. So it's a creative outlet. But every book is also a business, and it has to work as a business. And so when I team up with someone like Bob Berg, we're co-authors, but we're also business partners. Right. And uh, same thing with Chef Carol. Chef Carol and I are business partners. Now, normally, we team up, we, we get investors in a book. Like Bob and I got investors in our book, and the investors are what we call the publisher. <laughs> they invest in the book. All the ones who turned you down. <laughs> no, 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 no. The ones who published us. Oh, okay. All right. The actual publisher. Okay. The publisher is our partner, right? They're gonna, okay. they, they invest money. They pay us in advance. They buy the book. They invest production. They invest, they invest marketing. They invest edit, editorial expertise. So they invest in the book, and the book has to pay them back pay back the initial investment, and then it starts paying us a royalty. That's a success. Right. So I've had over two dozen books out. I regard all of them as successes as books in terms of their message and how they get the message to, to their audience. But only a handful have been successful as, as businesses. Huh. Yeah, the majority of them have been failures as business. Wow. And, and what I mean by that is simply that they still have devoted readers. They're still books I'm proud of. But in terms of returning their investment and then paying their founders, that's us, a residual ongoing income stream, that's a success. Mm. And only a handful of my books have been business successes. So the thing with the recipe is that we don't have any investors. All of the investors who looked at it said, love the business plan, but it's not our, it's not our kind of business, so we'll have to pass. We never found the investors, so Charles and I are... are are bootstrapping Investing. it, right. which means that we're publishing it ourselves. We're creating, designing, marketing, promoting, all of it we're doing it ourselves, which means that same thing of the top floor and the ground floor, now we have to do that as entrepreneurs. Right. We have to say, what's the overall business plan? And then what do we have to do today? What's the next step today to make the business of it work? Um, I'll tell you, Marguerite, it's it's a terrifying thing because I've, I've never really done this. Charles has never really done this. Um, it's, we are literally co-founders of a new business launching something. And, 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 you know, how will it turn out? We have no idea. We don't know. We'll find out in, uh, in November. Well, you know, it's interesting because in the real estate industry as a whole, uh, real estate agents are all really kind of independent contractors or entrepreneurs, yes. right? Right. That's right. And so I've been in the real estate industry for 23 years and I see so many agents struggle for a variety of different reasons. Number one, uh, they think that they can just jump in and make a bazillion dollars, right? And that they're not going to have to work that hard. Yes. Um, many of them forget the importance of uh, having a vision of what you want your business to look like, like you yes. talked about. And the last thing I think is that they absolutely forget about the details and how important those little tiny things that you do to make people yeah. 
feel important and feel special are. I mean, for, for the majority of people, buying and selling a house rates right up there with death and divorce on the stress meter. <laughs> like it's not the favorite thing to do, right? For mm -hmm. most people, it's kind of something that you have to do to get to where you want to go. And so as an industry, we need to constantly be working to improve that yes. experience. And I think that when what you talk a lot about in this book has a lot to do with what you just said, what makes a good meal, a bad meal, is that, that experience. What does that experience look like? Because we can all get to the end the yeah. end goal, which is to feed ourselves. To get, right? to get nourished, yeah, to get fed. Right. You know, you mentioned something earlier, which I want to bring, bring us back to. You said, Charles told you, Seth said, uh, uh, improve everything you touch. Mm -hmm. I was just, I went uh, a few weeks ago to Houston to visit with him and, and we to spent a couple of days shooting video for our, our, our special uh, uh, bonus content for people who pre-order the book. We shot right. some videos of Charles cooking recipes and of me interviewing, interviewing him, kind of Charlie Rose style about his background and some of the stories behind the stories of the book. And while I was there, uh, the last morning before I left, I went to the country club where he works, River Oaks Country Club. And I walked in and I took a shot of it uh, with, my, with my iPhone. Right over the doorway there, there's this sign that says, improve everything you touch. Um, it's, right out, it's right out of the book, but it, it got to the book because it's right out of Charles's kitchen. He, right. he lives what he describes. That, that whole idea of improve everything you touch, which the chef talks about in relation to food, but then in the story, the recipe, he also talks, he also says, tells Owen, you know, that's also a life principle. It's like with every, every person you make contact, can you leave them better in some way than, you, than they started? Um, more listened to more informed, uh, feeling better about themselves, happier. Can you, I like to make people laugh. I do it constantly. Every business interaction, I usually job. make people laugh. Thank <laughs> you. I work and another way he says, with every thought you have, is this thought making me a better person? He says, because the thoughts are, are cooking too. That's, you know, that principle, you're so, so on target. You take something like real estate. You know, how generic is that? You're buying and selling houses and everybody else is doing the same thing, right? In the book, Flash Foresight, I don't know if you know this book. It's a book I wrote years ago with, with the visionary futurist, Dan Burris. Dan Burris is one of those guys who consults to every gigantic corporation, governments and corps uh, all over the world. He's, he travels in C-suites. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. But um, he talked about this in our book, Flash Foresight. He talked about a realtor he knows who took, a, a, I think, a Mercedes or a BMW, a Mercedes, and pulled out the seats and installed seats that, that face, you know, face like this. Um, so you can sit here and sit there together and, and, and kind of made this like little luxury vehicle that he would put people, that she would put people in to drive around to see houses. Uh, she, so got they could talk. she got this idea from a, a, a car she'd ridden in, in England where they'd had the facing seats and Mercedes in England. So she retrofitted a car so with facing seats that, so that she and her customers could talk face to face and they would drive around that way. And I got, maybe she served them drinks or canopies or I don't know what, whatever she did, but she was always looking for ways to make the experience extraordinary, yeah. different to lift its level. We talk about this in the go giver, you know, add more value, anything you can do. Real estate is not, as you know, is not about the house. I mean, it's ultimately about the house. But the real the realtor's trade is it's about the experience. It's Absolutely. about what you bring to the equation. It's about what you do to transform this experience, which often could be literally death or divorce. Right. 
it could be that they're buying a house because, you know, because their they're kids are new they got to right. downsize or they're splitting up or, you know, whatever. It's not always a happy thing. No. And you can transform that experience by what you bring to it. Um, and that's, that's, you know, I said that there are two, two messages in the book. That's the other message in the book. There's this beautiful scene, and it, it, it's actually hidden in, in the cover. It's this picture of blueberry pancakes and the rose is from a memory the boy has of when his father was still alive and he was younger. And one day they were cooking pancake breakfast for his mom who was upstairs in bed. And he's bugging his dad saying, what, what makes your pancakes taste so good? And, and you know, is it the blueberries? Is it the oat flour? Is it the maple syrup? And his father says, the special ingredient isn't anything in the pancakes. The special ingredient is who you're cooking them for. And, makes my heart warm. Yeah, me too. And that's, that's the message of the book is that, you know, all of the technique in a, 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 a award-winning international star chef like Chef Charles, all the technique and all the razzmatazz and all the pizzazz and all the amazing things, that's all great. But what makes it extraordinary is, is what the chef calls honor in the book, which is really, it's always remembering who, who you're doing it for, who you're serving, what's your purpose. That, that that is ultimately what raises the level of what you do to a level of, of greatness. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because I remember when my kids were little and uh, they're grown now. My youngest is, is 21. And I remember someone telling me the only thing that children need is that when they walk in the room to see your eyes light up. Mm. And it's so impactful because it means something to everyone, right? It's like we're That's in this beautiful. world where there's so much communication. I mean, we're, we're so connected, but we're so disconnected. And when you get to see somebody and you get to see their eyes light up when they see you, it makes you feel so it makes you feel important, right? It's one of those things that makes you feel incredible. And the minute the kids see you and your eyes light up, they know that you love them and you're excited to see them and that they're important to you. I'm writing this down. Please do. That's so good. That's and, so good. And it's just, it's one of those things where I think that relates to so many different situations. Like you just said, it's yeah. really who you're making it for and who has yeah. had an impact on your life. And I was actually reading last night, the section where he asked him who his, like, I think of first grade or second grade teacher was. And right. we all have that memory of who's yes. our favorite teacher that impacted us yeah. so great, greatly. And yeah. it's not that they taught us anything spectacular. We didn't learn math better from them or anything like that. It was really how they made us feel. Right? Yes. Yes, this is so true. It wasn't that they were necessarily brilliant or what degrees they had or where they studied education. And those things may also be great, right. but we were in second grade and what we knew was that right. we loved <laughs> Mrs. McGilloway because of the way she made us feel. Exactly. Exactly. The sound of her voice and the memory of the blanket on my cheek, whatever it was. Yeah, whatever it was oh. that made you feel, made yeah. you feel so yeah. special. I love well, that. So, so tell us a little, because we've completely gone completely off track, but this, is, <laughs> this has been one of my favorite conversations ever, and that's why I love this when they do go off track. Is it, tell us a little bit about the book, right? Like sure. what, tell us a little bit about what the book is about. Okay, so it's, it's, it's the subtitle is a Story of Loss, love and the elements of greatness and it evolved as we were writing it um i wasn't i didn't know exactly what the book was about until we were in the middle of it until we got to the end of it but it's a story about 
uh, the setup was Chef Charles's idea. And when he told it to me, I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with the boy and his, and his broken heart. And I wanted to write the story because I wanted to read it. So it's the story of a young boy, 14 years old, who just lost his father as the story opens a few months earlier. And his life is really going down the drain. It's, he's getting in fights. His grades are plummeting. He's getting in trouble. He's in, on the verge of expulsion from school. And he's just committed an act of vandalism. And to, to pay it back, he's kind of semi-forced to go to work for this crusty old retired chef that he does not want to do. And that's how the story opens. And, and uh, he goes to, to work in this little cramped little diner kitchen. And there is, of course, more to the chef than meets the eye. And, um, and as he learns lessons of the kitchen, they gradually reveal themselves to be lessons about life. Um, it's, it's sort of like Karate Kid meets Master Chef. And then uh, the boy uh, uh, goes through a series of, of those lessons, a series of challenges, and, and kind of regains his sense or learns a new sense of, of purpose in life. And, uh, and this amazing thing happens at the end, which I will tell you right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, you don't know what you happens at the end. The end. So we'll say the end. So we'll save the end, although have Kleenex nearby. Um, so uh, it's a story about cooking. There are recipes in the book. There are actually a set of 14 recipes literally in the back of the book um, that Chef and I put together for the reader that are the, all the recipes that are cooked in the process of the story. And uh, as I said, for people who pre-order the book, we got a video that we're, that we're still making, but we've done all the shooting. It's in post-production now with the professional crew and everything of, uh, of co us cooking. Charles does the cooking. I do the eating. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I hope it's uh, – well, I don't know how good of a chef it's you him. are, but I can only I'll imagine you, that he's pretty dang good. In the course of the, in course of the writing, I, I cooked most of the dishes in the book, and I, I did probably a third of the writing in my kitchen. So it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was a great experience. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really a story about what – makes for a great life what makes for a life of greatness and fulfillment and not just excellence and skill but but meaning and purpose and that's the book and you know it's funny because uh i was reading the section about where they're making chicken soup yeah and i think you know it's like where did it come from that chicken soup is like this? Well, you guys call it the Jewish Grandma's penicillin, right? Grandma's <laughs> apothecary, right? The original medicine, the elixir it of life. It completely is, you know? And I think yes. that just about everybody, hopefully, in their life has had someone make chicken noodle soup for them, right? Well, you know what? And it could be, it could be miso soup. It could right. be bone broth. It could be in different yeah. cultures, there's different things. But every yeah. culture has this soup this gar, this tal, this whatever it is. I forget the names for it, but you know, it has this thing which is like your bloodstream. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, and, and, and chef, the chef talks about the stock, going back to your original stock. And he, he, where he brings that to is really the, the life experiences that are, that are your stock, that are your yeah. foundation. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, the soup, soup is, it, it, we couldn't have done, have done this, this book without soup. That's well, you sure. know, and it's funny because my kids, when, whenever they would get sick, my, my mom always made us soup growing up. But it was always like a special day too, right? You got this soup and my mom used to make us some, I used to get 7-Up, which was a treat, you know? Yeah. And 7-Up with orange juice and crushed ice and that was all that you needed to feel better. Like we didn't oh, take nice. all the medications then, you know, now we take all this stuff, but. 
uh, I just remember thinking it instantly took me back when you started yeah. talking about the soup in that chapter. Food does that, doesn't it? Oh. Food it takes you back. It has, it, it makes memories just burst into life. Oh, completely. Yeah. Well, you know what? I could probably talk to you all day. I, I know we're going to have to meet at some point because I'm going to have to go out there to oh, yeah. and have dinner and <laughs> get cooked. And But I'm so excited for your guys' book, seriously. And I, I could not be more honored than to be able to help you guys promote it. And so I want to make sure everyone knows you can go order it now, right? Yes. You can pre-order it. The book yes. actually comes out on October 17th, but you can pre-order it at johndavidman.com forward slash books, right? Yes. Uh, or, or you can go to the ingredients of greatness. Is that it? Okay. The, the ingredients of greatness.com. At the ingredients of greatness.com. There's the, there's the whole pre-order bonus offer and all that described there. Okay. And we'll be sure to add that link into our show notes and on our website at realestaterealworld.com where you can check it out and make sure that everyone has it. We're going to get this out and I could not be more excited. It's a really a fantastic book and I encourage everyone should have it on their bookshelf. Uh, I currently, like I said, I have a pre-release copy that I've been reading um, on my Kindle, which I love, on my iPhone. I am so grateful, Marguerite. You know, it's like people like yourself are the, the first wave of social proof we're getting that maybe we weren't wrong. Maybe there really <laughs> are those people out there who love food and love personal growth and, and, they, and, they, and love the combination of the two. I really so think you. it's so valuable because like you said, we tie so much into food. You know, yeah. we all have these great memories of great places we've been. And I think that many times we don't realize that that little peace is such a, a part of the bigger picture. Just like I said, the fact that, you know, getting chicken soup makes you feel better. You know, it, it's not necessarily the soup. It's that it was made with love. And I know that you guys put a ton of love, time and energy into this book. And I can't wait for it to go bazonkers with your self-publishing and, and be a huge success. There's no doubt in my mind it will be. That will go on my resume. Bazonkers. <laughs> That's an official word. I'm sure it's in the dictionary. I just it don't think now. we can use it on words with friends, unfortunately. No, that's all right. We will still use it in our endorsements. Marguerite says bazonkers. bazonkers. Thank you so much. So, thank you so much for being on our show today. It really is an honor, and I can't wait for your book to come out. I'm going to have a hard copy. Maybe I'll get one signed by you guys uh, when I get to hook up with you and, and at that's, some that's point. That's part of it. That's part of the bonus offer. Oh, copies. good, good. Hey. Well, thanks again. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Real Estate Real World. I'll tell you, this book uh, is definitely something that you're going to want to get and read through and figure out how you can use it in your real estate business. It makes a huge difference and is a huge part of why 23 years later, I am still here in the real estate industry is because paying attention to the details is vital and improving everything you touch. It's, it's fantastic. So thanks again, John. Thank you so much. All right. Everyone have a great day. Get out there and pay attention to the details. Improve everything you touch. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us today on Real Estate Real World, where we talk with masters and leaders in real estate and beyond on how we can raise the bar in our industry. Please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. For show notes and hot topics on what's going on right now in our real estate industry, hop on over to www.realestaterealworld.com 
and add your name to our email. Thanks again for listening. And go out there. Be a part of the elite masterclass in raising the bar on the real estate industry.